0: This podcast is presented to you by Pastor Derek Armstrong and Word of Grace Community Church. For more information, please visit wogcc.com. We're going to continue this morning in our series uh, going through why we can't stay here and why God wants us to move. And if you're taking notes today, I want you to write down this title, Full Life Generosity. I want to write that down, Full Life Generosity. Because I think that when it comes to us growing as believers, we oftentimes only look at a portion of something and we may miss the bigger picture. I believe that God wants us to live full life generosity. He wants us to move from a place where we may naturally be driven by our own selfish ambition. And He wants us to move to a place where, where generosity impacts every area of our lives. And we're going to talk a little bit about how to do that and what God's definition of generosity is altogether. I think we could all agree that human nature is driven by self. That human nature is naturally driven by what I want. And that's because a lot of times what we don't recognize is that our heart has a lot to do with what comes out of our lives. This is where we're at right now. I think most of the time that people can recognize when we're born, we're born with a motive of one thing and one thing alone. And that motive is self. We're motivated by self. We want to do things only for us, whatever pleases us. a matter of fact, a lot of times relationships that we have in life are strictly contingent upon what the other person can do for me. And when the other person in my life stops doing what I want them to do, then I cut them off because really ultimately my driving force for most of humanity is self. Because it's human nature. That's the way that you and I come into this fallen world with a fallen sense of being driven by self. The Bible talks about that very clearly in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 3. Here you can see the Apostle Paul writes to the church in Ephesus, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, we carried out the desires of our body and our mind. So these are our desires here, our desires of our body and our mind, and by nature, children of wrath, just like the rest of mankind. By nature, we are selfish takers. I think that's the other thing that would accurately describe humanity. That would accurately describe culture as that by nature, by being children of wrath who are driven by our selfish ambition, we naturally want to take. What does it mean to take? What does it mean to be a taker? It means simply that I look through the lenses of everyone in the world owes me something or everyone in the world has to give me something and recognize who I am, and it's all about me, myself, and I. I think that the purpose of life is to accumulate as much as I can and show everyone how better I am than everyone else. And so I'm going to try to gather unto myself and hold on to as much as I can in life because my mentality and my perspective of the world is one of a taker where I look to everyone... To do nice things for me. I love it when people do nice things for me. How about you? Yeah. I love when people do nice things for me. But the taker's mentality is that they expect everyone to treat them perfectly, everyone to always be nice to them. They always expect the best of everything in every situation for themselves. They never want to, they don't understand why someone wouldn't work on their time schedule. They don't understand why someone may be running behind for something. They don't understand why someone didn't do something the way they want it done. And when they wanted it done, they don't understand because their mentality is one of a taker. So therefore, when people don't meet their expectations, they become very angry at other people. And all of a sudden, they deem themselves as the smartest person in the room. I'm sure you know people like this. I'm sure this is none of us in this church. This is a message that hopefully will reach someone online. So a lot of people have this taker mentality that is driven by self. And so they look at the world as everyone's supposed to do what I want when I want them to do it. And I'm the smartest person in the room. And they say things like, man, if I ran this company, this thing would turn around tomorrow. If they would just listen to me. If they would just do what I've been telling them to do all along, everything would work out great. Because I am the answer for everything. Self is often driven by I. This is who I'm looking out for. This is what I'm all about. And this is who I am by nature. Because we live in a fallen world that is driven by sin and sin will always drive you to look inward for all of your problems and all of your solutions. So in other words, when we're driven by selfish human nature, I am the answer. I'm also the problem. I go, man, I've got problems, but I can fix it because I'm the answer. I need to work harder to try to do better and this is my goal because everything is contingent and dependent upon I everything's dependent upon my performance and how well I can do because it's all about me I feel entitled I feel owed I even may have that worldview of God I may think that God owes me everything because of all the good things I've done for him and my worldview of God is one that would say God I gave this much money why don't you do this for me God, I prayed this many hours. Why don't you do this for me? God, I went to church for four or five weeks in a row. Why don't you do this for me? And we're always trying to put God in our debt because we've made everything about I. Even our relationship with God, when we approach Him with this mentality, with this dark heart, this selfish driven heart, is one that is only interested in what I can get from God it's only interested in what he can do for me and so most of my relationships in life are reflective of the relationship that i have with god and that's of what's god going to do for me what's in it for me even if i do nice things for other people i've got a hidden agenda i have strings attached to the nice things that i do because i'm thinking man if i help this person move i'm going to cash in on this when i'm going to move nobody's ever done that i'm sure I'm going to mow this person's yard and bless them and hope that when my yard is high, they're going to return the favor. Even the good things we do, we do them with an ulterior motive or we do them with strings attached because that's who we are by nature, Paul said. Also, in Romans chapter 1, when Paul goes through describing the depravity of man, if you were here during our Romans series, you'll remember going through all of those things and just uh, how how wicked mankind has been in rebellion towards the Creator, talks about this is just what they do by nature. This is who humanity is by nature. But the beautiful thing about it is that we don't have to stay here, and we can move on from this place. Amen? Amen? You see, God looks at our heart. He's looking at our heart. He's not looking at all the nice things we say, all the nice things we do. He's looking at our motive. He's looking at our intentions, okay? God sees through all of the stuff that we can paint for everyone else thinking we've got it all together. God looks through the mask, and he sees who you really are. You can fool me, all right, because I'm just a man. I'm not God. You can fool me. You can pull the wool over my eyes if you're a smooth enough talker, and you can convince me with all the right words. But I'm not your judge, amen? God is. God judges the heart. Matter of fact, the book of Proverbs says we need to guard our heart because out of our heart flows all of the issues of life. Jesus likened our heart when he began to talk about a tree. He said, either make the tree good and its fruit is going to be good. In other words, what comes out of your heart is going to be good. He said, or the tree is going to be bad because the fruit's going to be bad. He said, either way, a tree is going to be known by the kind of fruit that it produces. So God is very interested in our heart. You and I, a lot of times, will try to deal with the effects and the aftermath of being a taker and being selfish by trying to somehow manipulate our behaviors or control our behaviors because we want certain results in our lives. And we start with all of our laundry list of all of the things we don't like about ourselves and all of our weaknesses and our behaviors, and we never address the heart issue. Folks, you can try to hold up good behavior in front of people for a while, but unless you change the heart you're going to revert back to the same old stuff over and over again, and you're going to drive yourself nuts. A heart change is what's needed, not a behavior change. Amen? Amen. You can try to change from the outside in, but if you allow the heart to be changed, then there's going to be fruit come out of that in your life. The Bible calls them the fruits of the Spirit. You see, before there's ever fruits, there is the right ground and there is a seed and that seed is taken care of and that seed is provided with the right nutrients. and begins to grow and then it yields fruit. Not you change out the fruit. Hey, let's go get some super glue and let's try to take off those oranges and glue some apples to the branches or let's get real redneck and use some baling wire and duct tape. And let's try to put some apples on the branches of the orange tree and that will make it an apple tree, won't it? That's what so many people try to do in life. So many people try to rip off the fruit they don't like. They want to rip off the bad stuff that they're not after. And they want to try to reattach some fruit to it. When that's not the problem, the problem is the root. The problem is the heart. Because this has been the problem because of our fallen, sinful nature that is naturally rebellious towards God, that naturally does not want to submit to authority, that naturally wants to avoid authority at whatever cost and play by its own rules and do its own thing. This is selfish, taking mentality. I'm owed something, I'm entitled, or I've worked for it and so I deserve it mentality that drives a lot of our behaviors. But what's God like? What's God like? God is generous. God is a giving God. And here's the thing. Luke chapter 12, in verse 34, Jesus says it like this. He says, where your treasure is, that's where your heart is also. Where your treasure is, that's where your heart is also. And if God's after my heart, and God is generous, and God is giving... That he's looking at my heart and he's wanting my heart to be reoriented. He's wanting it to be shifted or changed to reflect more of who he is, not that natural human nature. Let me ask you this question. This is a great diagnostic tool for you. And somebody asked me this just this past week, and I've been thinking about it over and over again. They asked me, they said, what do you have to have in life in order to be Okay. What do you have to have? I, I mean, I mean, don't give me a Sunday school answer, all right? And don't blow me off and go, Next, I answered that question, Jesus. No, think about it. For you to lay your head on your pillow at night, and for you to feel at peace, and feel that all is well in your world. You're not laying in bed thinking about the money, the bills, that confrontation you have to have, that wayward child. You're not thinking about uh, the, the problems you're having in your marriage. You're not thinking about any of that stuff. You lay down and you go, life is good. All is well. What do you, what's the answer to that question for you? Think about it. What do you have to have to lay down on your pillow at night and think, I'm okay. Everything's okay. The world's okay. The answer to that question is what your treasure is. Some people think, man, I, I need a I need more money. If I had more money, oh man, then I would be okay. If I had a better job, then I'd be okay. If I had a different spouse, then I'd be okay. If I had different children, then I'd be okay. If I lived in a different town, I'd be okay. If, if I lived somewhere that was always sunny with a high of 75, then I'd be okay. If, if, if I had this kind of house, I would be okay. Whatever the answer is to that question... What do you have to have in order to be okay? That's a great indicator, a great way to discover what your treasure is. And Jesus said where your treasure is. That's where your heart is. I think oftentimes if we wash away the Sunday school answers, most of us would say things like, man, I wish I had more money. Then I would be able to rest better at night. Man, if I had a different house. Man, if I had a better marriage if I had a better this a better that a more improved a 2.0 this if I had the new iPhone or the Apple Watch then I could sleep at night (laughs) until I have that I'm incomplete you complete me and we think that if we have those things that we'll be okay and Jesus said we're your treasures that's where your heart is and most of us it would be something that we would expect someone else to do for us or something that is driven by selfish motives now what does God look like God's heart is one that is focused on God. It is one that is for His glory, and it is one that is the heart of a giver. He's a very generous God. Wouldn't you agree? You see, He's so generous that He gave His only Son for us, and if we truly realize the weight of our need for His Son, then it would increase the weight and the reality of, of our need for Him and just how good the gospel is and how good He truly is. You see, a giver looks to do nice things for others with no strings attached. I'm not going to hold you to any type of bargaining agreement that's going to benefit me. I'm in this just to see you benefited or to see you blessed or to show you the love of God. Not because I have an ulterior motive. And God has called us to be full-life givers, full-life generous people, not just financially. When we hear generous or giving in church, everybody freaks out and starts, you know, checking out because they think, oh, no, the pastor's going to talk about money. I'm not even talking about money. I'm talking about your heart being positioned in a way where every aspect of your life begins to reflect the generous heart that is in God. Because the more we know Him and the more we know who He is, then the more our character is going to be in tune with who he is and we're going to reflect his glory here in the earth. The beautiful thing about this is that even though we may be here and God wants us to be here, we don't have to stay there. Amen? So how do we get from here to here? How do we do that? I mean, is it, is it 10 steps? Is it 15 steps? How, how many steps? is it? Tell me what to do. Well, here's the thing. I'm about to tell you how our heart is going to be reoriented from a taker to a giver. Are you ready for this? Ready for your minds to be blown? (laughs) How we move from here to here, how we grow upwards, is this right here the gospel. The good news. The gospel of Jesus Christ is how we move from being takers to givers. Turn in your Bible to Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20. This is the Apostle Paul writing some of his last words. This guy knows that he is about to be taken away and beheaded. And he's sharing some of his final thoughts with the church. And Luke records these in the book of Acts as Paul is sharing some words of urgency here. Paul says this, Acts 20 and verse 32. He says, So now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of His grace, which is able... To build you up and to give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I've coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. Yes, you yourselves know that these hands have provided for my necessities and for those who are with me. I've shown you in every way by laboring like this that you need to support the weak. And remember the words of the Lord Jesus when he said it is more blessed to give than it is to receive. What did he say here? Let's, let, let, let's look at this at this scripture here. What is the Apostle Paul saying? He said, I'm commending you to God and the word of His grace. It's a good name for a church. <laughs> I'm committing you to God and to the word of His grace. What is the word of His grace? The word of His grace is the gospel. Because so many people... Don't understand the weight and the goodness of the gospel. You see, for good news to really be good, the bad news really has to be bad, right? Otherwise, it's just okay news and then let's move on to the next thing, right? For the good news to be good, and the bad, then the bad news has to be really bad. And for us to understand the weight of the gospel, we need to look at things through eternity's eyes. I didn't spell that right. I got ahead of myself. We need to look at things through an eternal perspective. When I was a pastor in Arkansas, I did an illustration where I had a guy get 5,000 feet of rope, okay, in my church. He had 5,000 feet of rope, a lot of rope, okay. He strung it up all outside the church, all inside the church. It was on the ceiling. It was on the floors. It was running everywhere. People walked in the church. They didn't have a clue what in the world was going on. What is our pastor up to now? What type of service is this going to be with a lot of rope? It's going to be like a Kool-Aid service. I don't know. All right. <laughs> Anyways, comes, everybody comes in. There's rope everywhere. We don't know what's happening. Everybody's freaking out. And I had the beginning of the rope up on stage next to me. So I preach my sermon. I don't mention the rope. I say nothing about the rope. And then at the very end of my message, I grabbed the end of the rope, which had about a three-inch piece of red tape on the end. And I said, I'm sure everyone has noticed the rope. Everybody's like, rope? What? No, I'm kidding. They saw the rope. When they looked around and they saw the rope, I said, what I wanted to paint for you today was a picture of eternity. And I said, this rope, you you don't see where in the world it ends. No one could find the end of the rope because there was so much of it and it was everywhere. I said, I wanted to show you and give you a perspective of what eternity looks like in contrast to, and I held up the rope with the tape on it and I said, our life here on earth. I said, this three-inch little piece of tape that I put on the end of this rope represents our life here on earth. But here's the crazy thing. All of this three inches, everything that happens in between this space is going to affect all of this. And not just for me, but it could be for other people as well. And when I understand... That God truly looks at the big picture and not just my red tape. I'm focused on the red tape. I'm focused on the eye. God is focused on this. God is focused on eternity. God is focused on His glory and eternity with you and I in mind. And He knows that everything we do in our little three inches of life that we have, our life is but a vapor. Our life is just a breath. It's, it's, it's here today and it's gone tomorrow. But eternity is affected by what we say and what we do. And if we understand the weight of the gospel, then it begins to change the orientation of my heart to where it's not about me, but it becomes about Him. Because guess what? No matter how much I want to be right in the eyes of God, no matter how much I want Him to love me and accept me and have a relationship with me, none of that is possible without the gospel. Amen? Amen. None of it is possible without Jesus. The problem with the gospel, like I said earlier, is that it's good. That's the problem. I don't understand what do you mean. It sounds pretty easy. No, the problem is, is that we, by nature, are takers and are selfish. And because the gospel is so stinking good and it's so free... We have a hard time receiving it. We have a hard time receiving it because it's so good and it's so free. We think, whoa, 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 wait a minute. I'm sure God's got something up his sleeve. we got to do something, right? I mean, maybe he wants more of our money in exchange for accepting us, forgiving us. Maybe, maybe he, he's expecting us to do something in order so we can get, like, a, you know, like a, a, a better version of salvation? No, you see, salvation is free. The gift of God is free. The grace of God is free. And it is so good. And it has such a weight to it. And the more that we understand the weight, of the gospel, and it becomes real to us, we realize how bad that we have been and how good He is and how it changes my heart. It changes me from the inside out because it no longer makes my salvation or my right standing with God or my hope or my purpose in life about me. It makes it all about Him. Amen? And when it becomes all about Him, it changes my heart. The gospel changes my heart. The more that I grow in my relationship with God, the more my love for Him should grow because I know who He is and I understand His gospel. That word gospel means good news. It is the good news that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Not when you were perfect, not when you got it all together. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And the gospel is what changes our nature. The gospel is what changes our heart. Because we realize, man, I am a selfish taker. And I can't change that in and of myself. But God can. God can change my heart. The Bible says in the book of Ezekiel that he'll take out our stony, hard heart and put in us a heart that is soft, a heart of flesh, is what he'll put in our chest. And that heart is one that is going to be a giver, and guess what else it's going to be? It's going to be selfless. Because this is the nature of God. This is who He is. This is the nature of man. This is who we've been. But we don't have to stay here. We can move from selfish takers to selfless givers who are reflecting the goodness of God because we grow in our understanding of the gospel, because we have eternity in mind. I'm not thinking about myself as much as I'm looking to the prize. I'm looking to eternity and not only what I get out of eternity, but how many people can I bring along with me and rescue along the way because God's a giver and He's selfless. He died He sent His Son to die for who? The whole world. Not many more people you can die for. The whole world kind of means the whole world. That's Huge. And when we understand the gravity of that, it changes my heart. Why does it change my heart? Let's look at the scripture again in Acts chapter 20. He said in verse 32, He said that I commend you to God and the word of His grace. He said, I'm committing you to the gospel because the word of His grace is the gospel because He knows it's going to build you up, He knows it's going to strengthen you. The longer I am a Christian, the more I'm on this journey, the sweeter the gospel should get to me. The sad thing is is that people bottleneck down here somewhere. They bottleneck and they stop because they think they understand the gospel and they probably do in a in a very small measure. I've got I've got the gospel. I mean, I understand. I go to church on Easter. I I got the whole cross thing. I've even got cross jewelry and cross tattoos and cross t-shirts, cross bumper stickers, and I got a Jesus fish eating a Darwin fish on the back of my car. (laughs) And that's great. But that's not everything. Because the problem is, is that when I think I understand the cross and I think I understand the gospel. At this level, then I go, what else is there? What's next? Because I get tired of hearing the gospel. I I want to hear something else. What's that pointing back to? (laughs) What am I doing all over again? I want to hear something else. I want to know something else. I, 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 I'm not satisfied with the gospel. You see, the gospel should only get sweeter and sweeter the more that we grow in knowing Him, folks. Because the whole Bible, from cover to cover, guess what? It's all about Jesus, and it's all about the redemption of mankind. Let me say that again. The whole Bible is about the redemption of mankind. It shows us the fall of man. It shows us how man tried to do it himself. How man tried to fix it himself. But from the beginning, God had a plan to restore mankind into, in the eyes of God. Man tried to do it himself. Man tried to obey all the laws. And even though they saw the perfection of God, they tried to attain it and they couldn't. And then Paul says our righteousness is like filthy rags. And then Jesus comes on the scene. And He changes everything. He fulfills that law and shows them the law carried out in a perfect way. He shows them how to live. He shows them that He's the hope. He shows them that He's the way and the truth and the life. He shows them that nobody can come to God except through Him. And then He says, I want you to spend the rest of your life affecting eternity going out and making disciples who understand the gospel, who are growing and reflecting the character of God that's a giver and selfless for the sake of reaching more people for the gospel to affect eternity. Is this making sense to anybody? It's loving God. It's loving people. It's serving the world. It's living a full life, generosity, spirit that I carry with me that's not just a one-time event, that's not interested in what I get out of it. It's not just going, what next? I want something else. Why? If you have Jesus, and everything else was taken away from you, you still have everything you need. If everything else is taken away from you, you still have everything you need if you have Jesus. That's the thing the world didn't give, and that's the thing that the world can't take away. Amen? Paul said, I coveted nobody's silver or gold. I didn't want their apparel. I wasn't interested in the latest, greatest fashion. I wasn't consumed with that. I wasn't consumed with money. He said, you yourselves know that my hands provided for the things that I needed. I worked. And then when I couldn't work, there were others with me that helped me out. I showed you in every single way by laboring with you and showing you how to live and being an example that you need to support the weak and remember the words of Jesus that it's more blessed to give, than." it is to receive because being a giver and being selfless and focused on the gospel affects eternity amen paul said i don't care about this stuff he said you need to stay focused on the word of his grace because it's going to build you up it's going to keep you focused on what really matters because there's so much junk here in the world that wants you to get distracted from what really matters and wants you to make a u-turn to go back to i So many things in this life, people will be growing in their walk with God and then something will happen where the enemy wants us to make a U-turn and go right back to I. And God says, no, focus on the Gospel. I commend you to... Commit to stay focused on the Word of His grace so you can keep growing and reflecting the giving nature of God that is selfless, that is giving this good, free gospel of His grace to the world that's changing lives for eternity. Not just making somebody's life better here on earth. Yeah, that may happen. That may not. But it's affecting their eternity. Amen? It's not because... I don't become a Christian... Because I'm promised all of these things that I can enjoy here on the earth. No, I become a Christian because I realize that I'm hell bound without it. And I am hopeless without Jesus. That's why I become a Christian. Because I need to be right with God. You need to be right with God. We all need to be right with God. And I need Him in my life. And I can't work my way there. I can't be good enough. It's Jesus alone that makes me right with God. Amen, somebody? And I'll tell you what, when I understand the gospel, man, i got a lot of stuff going on up here. When I understand the gospel, something changes in my heart. You want me to show you what changes? I become something that I really wasn't as much before. I become thankful. I become thankful the more I grow in understanding what Jesus has done for me, the more real it becomes, the more thankful that I become. What's another word for thankfulness? Anybody got a good word that begins with the W. Worship. I become thankful and I worship Him. That's why in Romans 12 and 1, the Apostle Paul says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable. This is your reasonable act of worship. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, I'm pleading with you on behalf of what? The mercies of God. The mercies of God that didn't give you and me what I deserved, but instead gave us free grace that did not give me what I earned, that didn't give me the judgment that was due to me because of my sin, but Jesus took the punishment for your sin and my sin and the result of all my selfishness and all my taking and all my entitlement, He took all of that on Himself on the cross for you and for me so I could be right in the eyes of God. Folks, that is free. That is good. That is eternity changing stuff. And when I realize that, it should only stir up more and more worship in my heart because I am so thankful. Amen? Has anyone ever done anything for you here on this earth that meant a lot to you, that you were really thankful for? Matter of fact, maybe it was so special to you that still to this day, when you see them, you just want to go hug them and thank them and just, you have such a close relationship with them because you're so thankful for who they've been in your life. I know that When my son was in the hospital a few months ago, there were doctors and nurses that I'm never going to forget as long as I live. Matter of fact, when I go up to the hospitals, even to this day, for follow-up appointments for my son, I'll go up the elevator to the 10th floor because that's where we stayed and I'll see who's working that shift, see if there's anybody I recognize, anybody I know. Why? Just to go say hello and give them an update and tell them thank you. Why? Why? Because if it wouldn't have been for you guys and your care, if God wouldn't have worked through you and used you, my son might not be alive. And so I thank God for those people. And I want to go see them and tell them, thank you. And if I will inconvenience myself instead of saying, well, we got to go. No, before we go, let's go up to floor 10 and see if anybody's working because I just want to go say thank you again. If they saved my son's life here on this earth, how much more should you and I be running to the feet of the cross daily thanking God for sending His Son Jesus to die for us because that's not just saving us here on this earth. It's saving us forever. And forever is a long time. It's kind of like forever. (laughs) Forever is a long time. And it affects our eternity. And it changes my life here. Because when I grow in the gospel here on this life and I become more thankful, what am I doing? I'm reflecting the character of God more and more and more and more and I'm giving more, and I'm selfless more with my time, with my talent, with my treasure, because my heart is right. Not just because someone told me to, but because my heart is in it. Because my heart's in it now, because I'm more thankful, because I'm growing in the gospel. And now I I, I don't really think about this a whole lot. Yeah, I may get drawn back into it from time to time, but I realize that's who I used to be. That's who God saved me from. Because guess what? When I'm this way, nobody in the world that doesn't know Jesus takes notice. Nobody notices that because you want to know why it blends in too well. When the church is like this, when Christians are like this, nobody can tell a difference in us. We don't have a light shining. You want to know why? Because we look like everybody else. However, when we begin to look like this, When we begin to be givers and selfless and we reflect the character of God, the world stops and says, whoa, wait a minute. There's something different. There's something that you have. There's something that you have found joy in. There's something you have found peace in. There's something you found completeness in. There's something that you have found purpose in that I never found when I was here. What's the difference maker? It's the gospel. It's Jesus. Amen, church? Amen. Amen. You see, when we're generous with our lives, we need to be prayerful and intentional with those things. It's not that we're just simply wanting to be generous for generous sake. No, God, how do you want me to live my life intentionally generous? And this has been a big challenge uh, for me, and I'm just going to expose my heart to you for a minute as we're, as we're wrapping up here this morning, that As we grow in generosity, there's a lot of things we can grow in. We we can be encouragers, we can be servants, we can be hospitable, we can be uh, people who extend grace to others instead of judgment, we can be compassionate and co-suffer with people, we can be humble, we can sacrifice purposefully and joyfully from the resources God has given us. All these things we can do and we can grow in, and God wants us to grow in every one of those areas. He wants us to encourage one another, especially in the family of God. He wants us to serve serve one another. He wants us to be hospitable. You know, a lot of times the world has this idea that the church is full of hypocrites and judgmental people. Aren't those the two most common criticisms that people that don't know Christ and some that do will say about Christians? They're judgmental and they're hypocritical. Well, the way to change that is to be people who extend grace and restoration instead of judgment. Instead of being interested in seeing someone punished, we want to see how can that person be loved and restored? Because God is all about restoration, amen? He is. Instead of them getting what they deserve, I'll let God handle the judgment part. It's my job to extend grace and restoration because God's after their heart, amen? Thank God He didn't give up on you and me. Hello, somebody. When we're compassionate, I like that word co-suffer, and I actually stole this list from somebody that I heard speak this last week. Is really good. I'm not even going to lie. I, I stole this list. It's a great list. Be a co-sufferer. I thought, man, when I heard him say that word at a, at a luncheon that I went to, I was like, wow, that's really good. Even though it's not my problem, I'm going to help you shoulder it. Even though it's not my job that may be at risk or my financial pressure, I'm still going to help you shoulder that burden, and I'm going to go through this with you. Isn't that very God-like that he walks with us through the valley of the shadow of death? Amen. That he's called us to do the same with one another. And then we do it humbly. Not to make a name for ourselves, but Jesus said the kingdom of God works like this. The last are going to be first. We also see in the Bible, it says we need to humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God. And then to sacrifice purposefully and intentionally. Doing it on purpose. Like, I meant to do that. I prayed about it. I asked God about it. I asked him to to direct my generosity in these areas. Whether that's with my finances, whether that's with my time, whether that's with my home, whether that's with my car, whether that's on the job, whether that's with someone who has offended me, whatever the case is, I want to grow in full life generosity. And I want to do so by being prayerful about it and intentional about it. And here's the three things that we can do to make sure that we're being prayerful and intentional. The first thing is that we ask, is our generosity biblical? Is it biblical? Because the Bible is what God gives us as the groundwork for what generosity should be. Amen? Amen? Amen. We look and see, is my generosity, is it biblical? Because if it's biblical, then it also needs to be a conviction of my heart. I want to make sure that I'm convicted. That, that As I'm generous, that I do so out of conviction. That this is, this is important to me. This matters. This is a non-negotiable. This is how we're going to be generous in our household. This is how we're going to be generous in our marriage. This is how I'm going to be generous with our children. This is how I'm going to be generous in the workplace. This is how I'm going to be generous at church. And when I make these decisions based off of something being biblical and it being a conviction... That's great and that's important, but here's the last one and the third one, and I'm going to reveal my heart to you. This this one challenged me. This one challenged me. Sacrificial. And I'll tell you why it challenged me. It challenged me because I think we can get biblical down. We get that. I can be generous biblically. I can be generous... With my, and be convicted about it because it's based off of something biblical. And I feel very strongly about that and I'm convicted about it. So I'm very principled with my generosity. I understand what I'm supposed to do and I do it and I've made it a part of my life. But then that last one, mm, when I saw that, I was like, God, do I have to preach this? Do I have to end this message this way? Because I got so challenged by that, and I actually sat down with my wife and we chatted about this quite a bit. I told her, I said, you know, growing up in a Christian home, like I did, hearing the Word of God preached and taught, I understand the Bible. And I understand what I'm supposed to do as a Christian who is living his life according to Scripture. I know that. And I'm even convicted about those things. Those things are not an issue for me. And because of that, it's such a deep conviction that I've worked it in my life. And and I don't even really think about it because it's just a part of who I am. It's just I don't really have a struggle with a lot of those areas that God has called me to be generous in. But then when it comes to sacrificial, I got convicted and and I said, God, oh, because I have made such a space for it in my life, am I really being generous sacrificially? Because you told me to present my body as a living sacrifice. And here's the challenge for me that you don't have because you're not a senior pastor of a church is that God took me a step further and he said, where are you sacrificing to be generous in your life that spans outside of your role as a pastor? Because it's easy for me to justify a lot of things. Let me tell you. I can go, well, God, I've been generous with this person and this person, and I've, I've spent time with this person. I gave money to this person or this cause, and, 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 and I let them do this and this and this. And how much of that spans outside of your role as a pastor, and how much of it is something that has caused you to sacrifice for eternity? And I began to think, God, you're challenging me. And so we're answering the call. My, my wife and I, we, we prayed about this, and We're going to be doing some things just as a family, within our family, to help teach our children generosity because they see their dad as a senior pastor and they see him doing his job and they see what he does. Well, what about just as a Christian? Forget that he's a pastor. He's a Christian too, you know. Just in case you weren't, sure. I am. So, I mean, I'm a Christian. And if I didn't have the role of pastor, what are my children seeing outside of that role? that's not only biblical, that's not only convicted, but what are they saying that's sacrificial? So we begin to talk about how we're going to do some of those things in our life, and I want to challenge you to ask yourselves those questions. In other words, when I think sacrificial, here's what comes to mind. Inconvenience. That's what I think sacrifice means. Because because my generosity is biblical and convicted, and it's been so principled for so long... It's not very sacrificial. It's not very inconvenient because it's a part of who I am. Am I making sense to anybody? Because if, if, if you don't say yes, I'll keep explaining it over and over again. <laughs> I have a tendency to do that. But sacrificial, man, that one got me. What am I being inconvenienced for? And I don't mean like measly inconveniences like, yeah, I give this much money to this cause or... To this thing at church or whatever, and I can't go, you know, buy that, you know, new t shirt I was wanting. I'm not talking, I mean, what sacrifices am I making? Not just those, not, not just what conveniences am I withholding from myself to be generous. No, what am I sacrificing? Wow. I, I want to be a sacrificial giver because I believe that that's part of who Jesus was. Jesus' generosity was biblical. It was convinced. I mean, convicted, and it was sacrificial, amen? He said, I did not come to this planet to be served, but I came to serve and give my life as a ransom for many. I believe God wants us to move from takers to givers, to full-life generosity, people who are impacting eternity, people who are growing in loving God, loving people, and serving the world. And it's going to be through us growing in our thankfulness and understanding of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit WOGCC.com.